Hello, welcome to Ask About the ADA, the podcast where we answer your questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act and how it applies to your everyday life. I'm Joe Zeski, the program manager here at the Northeast ADA Center. On today's episode, we're going to have an interview conversation with myself, Jennifer Perry, our access specialist here at the Northeast ADA Center, and Christopher Sweet, our technical assistant specialist. Those of you who have listened to the podcast for a while may remember they joined us back earlier in the year. We've asked them back to have another conversation around COVID and how things have developed regarding the ADA and understanding COVID in light of the law. Also joining us again is Grace Fairchild, our producer, who will lead our conversation and be asking the questions. Thanks, everybody, for joining us and coming back. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Thanks for having us. And Grace, I'll hand the uh, proverbial mic off to you to begin asking the questions. Sounds good. So we're going to talk today a lot about COVID and the Delta variant and returning to work and how all of these topics impact the ADA. So first, we'll start with concerns about returning to work. So although there are still pandemic concerns with the Delta variant, um, many employers are ready to bring their workers back from the virtual world to in-person work. So first, let's talk about requiring employees to return to in-person work. Some people with disabilities who might be immunocompromised have increased risks in returning to the office, and they might want to continue working remotely. Can employers require their employees to work in person, or do they have to make reasonable accommodations? I think the answer is that you have to look at each case separately on an individual basis, because in some ways, yes, an employer can require that, but there are times where you have to look at the reasonable accommodation process, and is there a disability-related need why a person can't work? Um, For example, I know earlier in September, uh, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission filed a case against, uh, I believe it was ISS Facility Services, which was a company that did facility management because someone who was working remotely, in fact, the entire staff was, I believe, for a number of months, they came back to the office. The person requested to remain working remotely for two days a week, was denied, and then was uh, fired for making the request. However, other workers were allowed to work remotely. So you have a couple things going on there. Um, You have to look at the specific situation. You have to look at consistency and policies. You have to look at how an individual's specific disability, in that case, I believe the person had a pulmonary condition, you know, impacts the work environment or the way that they do their work. You have to look at each case separately on an individual basis. I think just one thing that I would point out, too, is, um, and and this is relative to telework, where um, an employer in addressing um, COVID-19 and allowing employees um, to do telework, there may have been um, some essential job functions that were basically suspended during that time. Um, But the ADA never requires an employer to eliminate an essential job function as an accommodation for an individual with a disability. And so... Um, when they go to restore work to pre-COVID conditions, um, you have to take into uh, account that um, those essential job functions that were temporarily suspended may be back on the table um, and may be required of that individual. And if 
telework at that point does not allow for those essential job functions to uh, resume, then um, that telework accommodation uh, may not uh, be what's going to work for uh, the employer. That makes a lot of sense. And I think this same question can apply to a similar situation with the educational perspective. Can schools require students to return to in-person classrooms or do they need to offer virtual alternatives? It's along the same lines where they can require everyone to be back in school, but they have to look at does the student have a disability-related need, why they couldn't, or does the student have a disability need where returning to the in-person environment would pose a challenge related to their disability? Are they immune compromised? Are there issues or concerns around that specifically? And in that case, the school does need to look at, you know, do we modify our policy, our general policy, in order to accommodate this individual? How could we do that? Could it be done reasonably to ensure that same level of education and educational experience? Um, Because that's also part of the you know, that's, that's also part of what people need to look at and consider is the ADA and beyond that section 504, it's intended to ensure students have an equal opportunity to get the same level of education, the same experience, the same benefits that a student without a disability would from the education process. So the school would have to look at, can we reasonably do that uh, virtually? in light of what the students' needs are. And it's not an easy, easy question, but there is guidance out there, fortunately, from the Department of Education. If you go to their website, the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights, you can find a whole lot of information about accommodations, returning to school, and the in-person environment, uh, dealing with COVID and other related issues. That's a good reference to have. So let's talk about the offices that people might be returning to. Are there any physical access considerations that employers should really be thinking about before they bring workers back to the offices, that some of which have been empty since March of 2020? Uh, there are some things, Grace, that employers should consider. And, and you just raised a good point. A lot of these offices have been empty for quite some time. And, and one of the challenges with physical accessibility features is that they often have to be maintained to be accessible. So features that many people with disabilities rely on, like elevators, um, you'd want to make sure that they have been inspected, that, you know, before you invite all of your employees back, that things like that are working, that they're operational, um, especially if they're necessary for somebody with a disability to access their, their workspace. So I would, you know, start with ensuring that your accessible features have been maintained. If there have been any types of changes to the physical layout of the work environment in order to better support maybe physical separation of employees, you'd want to make sure that those efforts to um, provide separation to prevent the spread of COVID don't somehow then impact accessibility uh, for people with disabilities. So that involves a simple check to make sure that you're not limiting things like accessible routes, um, making sure that you're providing equal access to those accessible features. So for instance, you might not have um, every toilet room in your office is fully accessible, but you want to make sure that those that are accessible certainly are available um, and to be used by people with disabilities. The same logic would apply with your entrances. 
um, making sure that those are fully accessible, are open and available for employees to use. And of course, you always have to consider the reasonable accommodation requests that employees may submit um, based on a particular disability. We um, often hear of uh, reasonable accommodation requests for things like having a reserved parking space that's perhaps closer uh, to the accessible entrance of the office. And now that we're dealing more and more with long COVID, there may be people with that type of accommodation request. So those are things uh, employers want to be aware of. We saw an uptick in calls here at the Northeast ADA Center about features that are not required under the ADA standards for design, um, things such as touchless faucets in bathrooms, automatic doors, automatic operators, anything that can be used without having to physically touch that. Um, certainly, we wouldn't want to discourage that kind of design and those methodologies. They're, they're great. Um, they're not required by the ADA, but certainly we do know that's something that a lot of uh, employers as well as businesses are considering moving forward, having gone through uh, this pandemic. Other environmental factors that, you know, we know everyone is thinking about include, you know, perhaps providing additional air purifiers. And that could be another example of something that could come up perhaps as a reasonable accommodation request from an employee, particularly somebody who may have um, breathing um, difficulty or other types of disability-related issues. So air purifiers, um, ensuring that you are changing out your HVAC filters. And then finally, we've seen a big shift in trying to move operations, whether it's lunch or office meetings, to outdoors. So I would just remind everyone that things that are set up outdoors, even though they may be temporary in nature, must be equally accessible to employees with disabilities. So if you have patio seating or picnic tables, or if you're setting up a tent to hold meetings, you want to make sure that those areas are just as accessible uh, for employees with disabilities as they are for those without. Those are some excellent reminders. So another really hot topic right now is vaccine mandates. So this could become another really hotly contested area under the ADA. Do you think there is room for reasonable accommodations for people with disabilities under vaccine mandates? How should employers work with employees with disabilities who maybe can't be vaccinated? Does this apply to the educational setting? I think right now, a lot of the mandates that are out there still have some provision for people who may have a disability-related need um, as to why they can't receive a vaccine. And there may, I believe, religious exemptions as well, though I'm less familiar with that area. Um, with vaccines, I think the ADA still applies. And this is one of those cases where you have to realize that things are sort of ever evolving and the situation is changing. So from the time that we were recording this, this happens to be uh, September, uh, you know, things may change by the time you hear our podcast because, you know, events happen frequently. There are court decisions, there are changes that happen, but in general, um, I believe there's still room and it's, still clear that if someone has a disability-related need, why they can't take a vaccine, perhaps a severe allergy to vaccine ingredients, or perhaps they have immune-compromised system where their doctor tells them that, you know, it, it's not safe for you to get the vaccine itself, the employer still probably does need to look at that in terms of a reasonable accommodation but it's very complicated and sort of a bit of a moving target at the same time, which makes it a little hard to navigate. And there's not always a 100% uh, 
clear answer. I don't know, Chris or Jen, if either you wanted to add to that. Just just taking it from an employer perspective that, um, you know, the, the employer still can gather information about the employee's medical condition to determine if the employee actually has a disability and whether there's a reasonable accommodation that uh, can eliminate or reduce any risk associated with working unvaccinated that won't uh, pose an undue hardship to the employer. Um, and so, you know, we still got to remember that, I mean, we're throwing new language in such as vaccines or vaccine mandates or other things like that, but it still comes down to still being part of that interactive dialogue process uh, with somebody who's uh, seeking an accommodation. Yeah, I think that's a really important theme to keep coming back to and to keep reminding people about. So another million dollar question that people have been talking about since the beginning of the pandemic is whether COVID can be considered a disability under the ADA. So where are we on this question now, 18 months into the pandemic? Is COVID a disability? Is long COVID a disability? Yeah, and I I can answer that. And so when you're looking at um, disability under the ADA or Section 504, if you will, um, if it substantially limits one or more major life activities, um, then these laws and the related rules will define a person with a disability uh, as an individual with a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more of the major life activities of the individual, then yes, COVID or long-term COVID could be considered a disability. And you want to think in the context of some of the um, things you hear on the news of people with long COVID or even uh, in the short term with uh, difficult deep breathing. And so breathing being a major life function, or if an individual is suffering from joint or muscle pain um, and has trouble walking, then that is another major uh, life function. And so um, it really falls down to how the ADA in Section 504 defines that person. So yes, is the short answer, I suppose. And just to build on what you're saying, Chris, there's also some guidance out there now, which there wasn't before, specifically about long COVID. And a number of federal agencies have come out, uh, regulatory agencies have come out to say that long COVID could be, uh, if it meets the conditions that Chris was talking about, could be a form of disability. And they've specifically published materials about that. There was uh, one joint statement by the Department of Justice and the Department of Health and Human Services Uh, The Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights also had uh, a statement on that. I believe the EEOC has also said uh, that long COVID specifically could be uh, a form of a disability. So there is now more federal guidance than there was in this area. Um, And so, again, it depends on how the conditions affect the person and do they result in an impair physical or mental impairment, a major life activity, like Chris was uh, saying just a moment ago. Definitely. So, you know, and then the ADA, among several other laws, require that employers keep all medical information about their employees confidential. So this might come into play under the ADA because of reasonable accommodation processes and uh, not being able to, you know, disclose that that your employee has long COVID. Um, So, but with contact tracing, um, antibody testing and vaccine mandates, sometimes these kind of details become common knowledge in in an office setting. So what should employers do to make sure that they maintain confidentiality of employees' medical information related to COVID? 
Um, I mean, one of the things uh, to sort of parse out from that is um, taking a look at what would constitute, say, a medical examination. And so um, what, first of all, what needs to be um, protected uh, as far as confidential information. So, um, so the CDC um, on, on antibody testing um, basically came out and said that it should not be used to make decisions about returning to work. Um, that the antibody test doesn't meet the ADA's job related and consistent with business necessity. So things like that may not even uh, fall into play. But other things such as um, routine uh, testing in the office, uh, testing for COVID um, uh, has been looked at by the EEOC as not being considered a medical examination. Um, So then an employer really needs to take a look at what's being requested and why it's being requested. And so in the context of an individual coming in and saying, I need a reasonable accommodation and um, the employer then says, well, I need to verify by obtaining, you know, medical documentation from your treating physician, that information then um, is going to be uh, considered confidential, which at that point, the ADA is very clear that it's to be stored separately from the employee's personnel file um, so that there's limited access to that confidential information. Joe? I think you're exactly right, Chris. And it's a good thing to highlight because it, it gets back to the basic idea. And I believe we actually may even talked about this in our first conversation that we had together a few months ago, that even though it's a pandemic, the law, the ADA and its regulations apply whether it is a pandemic, if it's not a pandemic, and the basic ideas of the law of making reasonable accommodations in employment or reasonable modifications in education or protecting the confidential medical information of an employee, those concepts are still there. It's just a matter of thinking about how to apply them in an evolving circumstance, remembering that you have to look at sort of both the general and the very case-specific details to try to determine you know, how the ADA should best apply. And that's you know, part of the conversation of the ADA, the part that makes it both a challenge, but also uh, makes it interesting and a flexible law to, that you know, addresses a lot of different needs. So yes, I would say that the circumstances are evolving quite quickly. So why don't we think about these evolving circumstances in relation to the hiring process? So right now, the U.S. economy is experiencing quite a labor shortage. So many companies and businesses all over the country are trying to hire more workers. So what should HR departments keep in mind about the ADA and accessibility as they hire during the pandemic? I think along the lines of what we were just saying, employers should be mindful of the things that they needed to do before the pandemic started. If someone needs a reasonable accommodation for the application process, they need to consider it. And based on the individual having a disability-related need for the accommodation. So if you have an accessible application online, That's great, but if you're an employer who has one, but you come to find out, well, it's not actually accessible, then you need to try to accommodate a person who might need one for that application if they use assistive technology and um, they need an accommodation to do it. So maybe it has to be done 
maybe by mail or some other alternative if the application can't be made accessible. If someone has a condition where they might need a change in the venue for the interview because of their disability, perhaps to either an accessible location or perhaps to uh, a location where they may be less compromised if it's in terms of uh, an immune immuno-related disability, that's something that you need to consider. But these aren't necessarily new things, as we were just saying. It's just understanding how the ADA applies in the given circumstance and trying to be flexible and adapt to each situation. And I, I would add that people with disabilities are, are very underrepresented in the United States workforce. And this is a time to look at your uh, recruitment process and realizing there's a, a very um, untapped huge workforce out there that recruiters should be uh, looking at to um, fill those vacant uh, vacancies. And this is Jennifer. I can add that, you know, we're coming up um, leading up to October, which is um, traditionally National Disability Employment Awareness Month. And this year's uh, theme is America's Recovery Powered by Inclusion. So the Department of Labor really selected this theme to highlight that as our nation recovers from the pandemic, the inclusion of people with disabilities really is central uh, to that recovery effort. Of course, it's going to require all Americans, but the Department of Labor is really asking employers to recognize the contributions of people with disabilities to our nation's success. So, um, And the Department of Labor has a wealth of information and resources on their website to celebrate National Disability Employment Awareness Month. I would recommend if you're looking to um, publicize this event, uh, you, you visit the Department of Labor's website another really good resource to mention. So I think that that would wrap up the questions that I have for you all today. Do you have any other notes that you would want to let people know about the ADA in relation to COVID right now? I think just try to stay informed, reach out to places to find out more information, reach out to us here at the Northeast ADA Center, or if you're in a different part of the country, or if you're outside of the country, I know we have some listeners who are overseas, reach out to an ADA center to find out more and check places like ADA.gov to see if there's any new or updated information. That sounds good. Thank you, Chris, Jen, and Joe for, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions, as I said, feel free to contact us here at the Northeast ADA Center. You can visit our website, www.northeastada.org. You can find us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. You can email us at northeastada at cornell.edu. And again, as always, thank you for joining the conversation.